What's wrong with you people? Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast. My name is Matt Hensley, and I am joined, as most always, by Kyle, non-alcoholic beerman. I'm grateful that he held down the fort for me last week, but we are back, and we are grateful for our partners at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and for ministry training that prioritizes both the Great Commandment and the Great Commission we encourage you to consider Southwestern Seminary. Southwestern Seminary equips students in living their calling, seeking to glorify God through Christ-centered education that encourages academic excellence and faithful ministry preparation. They are grace-filled, Christ-centered, scripturally grounded, confessionally guided, student-focused, and globally engaged. You can learn more about Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's recently affirmed core values at swivets.edu forward slash core values kyle hey man it is sort of good to see you it's extra good to see you after man what a heartbreaking loss to the atlanta bravos yeah the uh, um the bullpen for the texas rangers so that's like the one weak spot that the Rangers have right now. And unfortunately, it's a pretty glaring weak spot. Uh, we're still in first place. I believe we have two games over the Astros. Um, starting pitching, for the most part, has been really good. Offense has been outstanding. Um, the bullpen just has a really hard time holding leads late in the game. And, uh, man, if anybody who was watching that game last night with the Braves, I mean, what an outstanding game. It just, it just happened to go not the Rangers way in the end, but I mean, two high powered offenses, two of the best teams in the league. Um, if the Rangers can figure it out, there, there is a, if, if they can fix the bullpen issue, I will, I will go on record right now and say there is a decent chance that those two teams could meet in the world series. You are um, absolutely. Yeah. You, you got to go. Don't even Ra- Rangers, Rangers got to go through Rangers got to go through, um, Tampa, uh, obviously. I mean, that right now everything in the American League is going to go through Tampa Bay. But right now everything in the National League is going to go through uh, Atlanta. I mean, they're they're hot, they're good. Um, but yeah, it's uh, um, yeah. So if the Rangers can fix their bullpen and stay healthy, this is going to be this could be a really really good season. Yeah. Anyway, uh, hey Kyle, what is the DJ's favorite sauce? I, I refuse to um, engage with this joke because it's awful. <laughs> hey, Kyle. Anyway, it's so good to see you. Uh, thanks for holding down the fort last week. I was at an all week. And by all week, I mean Monday morning, noon, and night <laughs> all week through Saturday noon for a conflict resolution and mediation training and certification. And now, friends, Kyle and I will never argue. Because I know, right. I I know, like I've got the ace in the hole. I'm sorry you feel that way. No, uh, <laughs> like we would have. To, so it was all great. We did have a good time. I learned a lot. Uh, I could listen to 50 hours of lecture all day long. Like that's not a problem. It's when you break me up into different groups and make me role play stuff that I am like praying for the rapture, praying for a tornado, praying for whatever <laughs> will take me out of there. 
because we do those and I get uncomfortable. And that's when usually if I'm uncomfortable, that's where the humor and sarcasm comes in. And so like, you know, we're, we would role play, like you're, you're handling something the wrong way. I'm like, Oh, I can handle that one. And so it's like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Uh, but da, 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 da. like, <laughs> so anyway, messing with people, we did have a good time and the role play was fine. Uh, that was also uh, Friday was one of our daughter's birthday. She turned 15. And so we I slipped out instead of going to dinner with everybody. I left, went and met her and the fam at a some pizza place in Cedar Hill, as recommended by Ryan Jesperson, your buddy and yep. the uh, the Matt Hensley of Dallas, as he likes to call himself, <laughs> the, the DOM of Dallas Baptist Association, which is like 10 times as big as Colin. but. Uh, the largest Baptist association in the world. And it's funny that he refers to himself as the Matt Hensley, where yeah. you should be referring to yourself as the Ryan Jesperson of Collin County. We all know who's better looking. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that that we got to hang out with him in Cedar Hill and then went over to his house for some ice cream. And like my mom telling all of the embarrassing stories of me growing up, which was <laughs> wonderfully awkward. But Fantastic. that was great. It's good to be back. Um, and, uh, of course we got right out of that and, uh, back into work. And so here we are, and we're back with an episode of something that's coming your way, whether you like it or not. Uh, it's the coming reality in revitalization. I would say the coming reality, not just Southern Baptist. I don't, I don't keep up with all of the stats from each of the different denominations and so forth, but this seems to be kind of the direction a lot of the nominations and conventions are going and uh, but certainly in revitalization. So we're going to talk about that because there's some new data, data, data. What do you say? Data or data? Listen, data is the character from Star Trek. Data is the uh, What's your I, baby I called proper... you when they were little, when they were little. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yes. The, uh, there's new so data. Data. There is some newly released data from the 2022 annual church profile of the Southern Baptist Convention, the greatest of all time. The average church right. at SBC has 80 people in their main worship gathering on any given Sunday. And in 2021, half of the churches in the SBC averaged less than 50 people on a Sunday morning, and over 75% of our churches averaged less than 100. So, what does Mark Clifton like to say? That's not small. That's normal. Normative. That's normative. Yes, that's correct. There's nothing normal about us. Uh, and I'm grateful that the Mormons <laughs> are mowing on the other side of their their cult, their church. Um, and so right now we need to wrap this thing up pretty quick. So we're going to talk about a few things that you wrote about with that. And I'm not going to make any mean comments about people online and check their ACP. But. We're, we're going to look at something that the ACP does teach us other than that. So, yeah. Kyle, why is this important? Yes. Why does it even matter, first of all? Why, who, who cares the size of our churches? Who cares? Like, just gather, just go, whatever. Like, why does this matter? Tell yeah. us what cares, Kyle. Yeah, so it's helpful for us to know as we look at the landscape of our convention, of the, of the Southern Baptist Convention, to know the reality of where we are, right? I think it's important for us. If you're listening to this and you're in a church of between 50 and 75, you need to know 
that 75% of the churches in, um, in, in the, the Southern Baptist Convention are, are, are like you, right? And if we expand that number out to 250 and under, or under 250, that's 92% of our, of our churches. So it's, it's helpful to know that the normative churches are not your mega churches. They're, they're not even the churches of 500 or 800. The normative churches, the, the average churches in our convention are between 50 to 100 generally speaking, right? I mean, so somewhere in there. Um, and I, I think that gives great value to, you know, if you're a, if you're a pastor who's struggling in a church and, and wondering, man, why aren't we growing? Well, you know, I, I, if I could just reach a bit, if I, if I, if we could just grow, if I could just pastor a church of 300 people, then, then everything would be, would be solved. That's not the case. And, and there are far more churches that look like yours than there are the Preston Woods or the First Baptist Dallas's or the Village Churches. That, that there are far more churches like uh, First Baptist Church Allen McGordo, First Baptist Church Mayhill, uh, or Mayhill Baptist Church, excuse me, than uh, than there are the, the Preston Woods of the world. In fact, one of the things that, that Mark Clifton will say um, in uh, his book Reclaiming Glory, and even in the updated version, is you know if you took all the uh, pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention who lead churches of 250 or less, you could fill a baseball state. You, you could you could fill Globe Life Field in Arlington. If you took all the pastors uh, who lead churches over a thousand, you could put them on one jumbo jet. Um, and that just, so, I mean, you're talking 40,000 pastors leading normative sized churches versus uh, a few hundred who are leading um, churches over a thousand. I think that's helpful for us to know, but that also means that across our convention, there are some uh, realities and some coming realities that we really need to consider. Okay. Well, it also we we need to make the disclaimer because anytime we kind of make this point about small church, big church, you know, the numbers, all of that kind of stuff, right? It's generally, some pushback that you know. Why don't you like this or that? There is no shred of that in us. We both of us celebrate what right. it does at a Prestonwood Baptist Church and what they can accomplish for God's glory and the kingdom Absolutely. Uh, in churches like them. And also uh, the nimbleness of a smaller church and what they can do and, and pastors being able to be intimately involved in the lives of every single church. Like there's there's values in both. There's great yes you no know, pros of each and and some cons of each all of that all of them are needed uh to to ultimately advance the kingdom and and that's one of the things that you know we talked yes. about with the pastors conference and and what we saw in, in, in any church you serve those we've got members that give probably the the lion's share just a few of your budget and without them you ain't making it and then if you take all of those that give just a little bit out, you ain't making it. And it's kind of the same thing true when it comes to the SBC, big churches, small churches, what what everybody's able to contribute. Yeah. So nothing we're talking about today is degrading or, or talking down to right. whatever. Right. We love them all. With that said, and this reality of bivocational, co-vocational, even sometimes pulpit sharing and so forth, this was something we explored in Mayhill was possibly filling in at another church and and so they would they would have a 
a pastor and so forth, that this is something that is the reality for some. And so with that being the case, assuming this might be a shift that your church makes, there are a few things that you need to consider as you navigate the waters, moving from a full-time pastor to a bivocational or co-vocational model. Another caveat, that's not second tier ministry. That's not, you know, triple A ministry. That's not a move down or whatever. And some even that that could be at a large church and, and even some that are at larger churches still choose to be bivocational because of the relationships they're able to build in the community. So again, that's another disclaimer we need to make. Still, now with all that said, so nobody's mad at us, reality number one, this is obvious, but a bivocational pastor may not be available for emergencies during the week. So number one, a bivocational pastor may not be available for emergencies during the week. Kyle, that's probably the biggest difference uh, between having a full-time guy and and the Bible guy. Full-time guy is kind of on call 24-7 typically, uh, you know, is, is at least available, can drop what he's doing and go do things. Somebody that's working at the bank may not be able to just slip out and go to a hospital visit or something like that. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is the biggest shift. Um, and, and so, again, let me kind of set this up. So the reason we're talking about this is because because we are a convention of smaller churches, um, as we've seen inflation and the cost of goods rise, I think there are a lot of churches for whom uh, who've had a, a full-time pastor that in the coming months and years will, will be faced with this reality of moving to a bivocational ministry for the health of the church moving forward. Um, and this is, I, I think this is the biggest one. The pastor will not be on call 24-7. Even in that, let me give you a caveat. So we live in a new world where there are a ton of work from home jobs available. The gig economy is is a huge deal. Um, and so you're if if you as a pastor are moving, looking to move into a bivocational role, you may be able to find something either as an entrepreneur or in a work from home job where you have a great deal of flexibility. But that's not always the case. I know a lot of bivocational pastors who are school teachers. That means uh, Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., they are tied up and they do not have a lot of availability, right? So that means you have your pastor is not going to be available for a funeral at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday or a surgery at 10 a.m. on Thursday. Um, that, that's a big shift. Now the pastor needs to understand that that's going to be a shift. If, if you're moving from a full-time to a bivocational role, the church really needs to understand that that's a shift. And that is a new reality. It's not all bad. Um, it doesn't mean that, as you said, Matt, that, that, um, that, that you've somehow moved into the minor leagues of ministry, but it is a reality that you need to wrestle with. And we'll talk about how to address that uh, here at the end. But, but that's just going to require a lot of uh, communication and um, very clear expectations on the part of both the church and the pastor, particularly if you're shifting from a uh, kind of a full-time model to a bivocational model. Now, pastor, if you're leading in this and, and you know transitioning into that kind of a role, if I could make any kind of a recommendation there, it would be... You need to go all in with your your deacons, train them up on how to do you know the hospital visits, 
tell them how to do some of the family visits, all of that kind of stuff, offload some of that to them, delegate some of that to them. You know, like we did at Mayhill, breaking up the church membership role based on geography around where deacons were. And so they were kind of the point person. Our, it, I wasn't really bivo there, but we had grown to where I couldn't really effectively shepherd each and every member of our church. And so what we did is we broke it up. And that was like the first line of defense, if you will. And so the the normal needs that would come up any given you know month or whatever, the deacons could handle those. And then they could bring bigger things uh, to me. And, and so that lightened that load a little bit. And so it's one of those that your best friend in this or could easily become the, the Achilles heel in this is, is probably your deacons. And, uh, and so lean in on them. If you don't have deacons, you know, get some men and ladies and those that maybe are retired and, and would just love to love on people. Find that person. Like my grandma was this lady that would send a card for literally every holiday there was. It didn't matter if it was. St. Patrick's Day, we weren't, you know, Catholic or anything like that. It was every holiday there was. She was sending cards to all of her friends. Find that person and and let her or him be the one that, you know, maybe heads up the the hospital care team and is going to send flowers or cards, you know. So there's there's ways to still make those emergencies that don't fall through the cracks just because you're not available. It shouldn't just be you anyway. But lean in on those deacons. Raise up some people that can lead that effort, maybe that are retired and have that kind of bandwidth. Number two, a church should consider increasing time off for a Bible pastor. Now, this might seem like, well, he's only working, you know, just Sunday or just a few hours. He doesn't need that much time. Well, homeboy is working 40, 50 hours at his other job anyway, and then is trying to pull together some kind of a sermon and maybe even a Sunday night sermon, maybe even a Wednesday night sermon. And uh, homeboys, homeboys tapped out. Uh, give him some extra time off when you can. This is one where I'll before you uh, take this on, Kyle. This is where you can lean on on the DOM. Like maybe even say, "Hey, would you be willing to just quarterly come and preach here and and give our pastor just a quarterly Sunday Sunday off?" Um, they would love to do that. And uh, and so that's that's an option, or even better raise up somebody from within that, that the pastor's discipling that could, you know, get some reps preaching, that kind of thing that may be called to ministry. Kyle, talk about that. A church should consider increasing time off for a vocational pastor. And I would say whatever pastor you have, consider increasing the time off because uh, a well-rested yes, would be a strong, uh, maybe long-lasting pastor. So Kyle, take this yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so bivocational, I, I want to clear up, uh, I think, a misconception here. Bivocational, co-vocational does not mean a part-time pastor. Um, there is no such thing as a part-time pastor because um, there is, e- even, even if you have a, a pastor who's working another job, um, he will still be uh, oftentimes on call in the evenings uh, when he's not at his other job. And, and even sometimes, I mean, folks will drop in, you know, and, and share ministry concerns at a job with a pastor. If they know he's working there, drop in while he's at work, and 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 share pastoral care needs that, that then he's you know cons- I mean, that's weighing on his mind while he's at his job and then and then addressing those when he can after work. Um, so if if you have a bivocational pastor, that more than likely he's working a job and he's is pastoring full time as well for a for not full time pay. Um, it's the the ministry the, the work of ministry is exhausting um, when you're full time when it's going well. Right. So if you are if you're a bivocational pastor, 
but you still have those stresses of all the same stresses of the ministry. Um, most full-time pastors, pastors who are in full, who are employed at a full-time uh, rate in a church typically get anywhere between two to four weeks. Uh, that's that's kind of what I've seen. Um, now, I would, I would suggest that for a church that's shifting from a full-time model to a bivocational or a co-vocational model, I'd suggest uh, almost doubling, increasing that from between six to eight weeks of time off. And here's what that will do. That will allow your pastor ample time to rest and recover as he labors in his job in the marketplace and in the work of the church as well. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean that for six to eight weeks, he's going to be just off doing whatever. He he may have another full-time job that he's working. He's not necessarily taking that time off, but that would allow him time to rest from the church and, and get this, maybe just show up as an attendee on some mornings and be uh, be invested in, whether that's in your church or even allowing him to go, he and his family to go to another church and just be poured into. Um, and again, you, you mentioned deacons, uh, DOMs, uh, most state conventions have folks who would love to come and preach. Um, and we'll talk at the end about how a, a bivocational, co-vocational church can um, kind of meet some of those own the, their own preaching needs and leadership needs within their church. But I think this is so important, and this will help with the longevity of ministry in a big way. You will be, as a church, you will be better cared for if your pastor is uh, in a healthy place emotionally, spiritually physically. And, and a lot of that just comes with rest. Yep. All right. Reality tres. And we touched on this. Uh, would have helped yep. if I read all the way through the end of your article. But <laughs> <laughs> like like my sermons, I start really well and I fade fast. And uh, so I thought, <laughs> oh, I can, I can wing this. Uh, so reality three, a bivocational role does not mean failure for the church or the pastor. If your church comes to the realization that we can no longer do the full-time thing, uh, maybe even uh, the church that had to sell the parsonage and, you know, because of finances or whatever it is, that it's still a great asset, especially in this conversation. Uh, but if they had to or, or whatever, they just feel like we can't do this anymore. We have to go by vote. It does not mean that you have failed. If the pastor is taking a bivocational job that just, can't land the full-time thing or or whatever, that's not a failure. Um, it it is hard and it is, you know, probably to to a degree harder, or certainly harder in certain areas. Uh, and and it might be short term, it could be long term. It might be, as Kyle said, the reality um for for the future uh, directions that we go. And so it's not minor league, it's not the triple A, it's not whatever. Um, so that's something to to address. So so Kyle talk about that. I know we've talked about it already. Uh, but but just remind people why that's not just second tier ministry. Right. And, and I would say, you know, for a lot of pastors who are in a bivocational, co-vocational role, for a lot of churches who are in in that role as well, that there's a goal to get to a place where you can employ your pastor full time. Um, that's not a bad goal. There's nothing wrong with that. Saying, hey, we, we want to get to a point where we can fully support our pastor so that he doesn't have, um, you know, outside, have to seek outside employment. But there, as, as you mentioned, there are some even larger churches who have strategically taken this approach as bivocational because it allows the pastor to be involved in the community in, in a way that he just can't if he's if he's in the office or in the church 40 hours a week, right? 
Um, but again, I, I want to make this point. A, a bivocational pastor's ministry is just as important as a full-time. He's going to be there for funerals. He's going to be there for weddings. He's going to be there for counseling. Um, he's going to be there for preaching week in and week out. Um, and in some cases, a, a bivocational, co-vocational pastor can have a greater impact in his community if he's involved in the marketplace, if he's involved in the life of a community in, in some way outside the, the church, right? So, um, you know, if you have a pastor who is also a school teacher, he can have a wonderful impact on the lives of students, on the lives of the other teachers, the administrators. Um, again, that's going to be based on the culture of your church, the culture of your community, um, wh- whatever role your, your pastor has. Um, but, but but it's really important. We cannot emphasize this enough for, for the pastors who are listening to this and for the churches that, that being a bivocational is not a minor league calling. Um, it's not, well, I'm just a, a bivocational. No, you are a pastor. You are a pastor that God has called in, in whatever season to serve your church and to serve in the marketplace as well. And I think you have to see those as that, that calling is linked. And if you do that, if you make that connection, um, you can see a ministry flourish in a really unique way. Yeah. Kyle, uh, I want to put this recommendation for bivocational ministries to raise up shepherd leaders. We kind of talked about that. We're going to put the link to this in the show notes. Go read the rest of this. Read through all of it, the stats, all of that kind of stuff. See why this is necessary. I want to just use this final little bit uh, to share. You know, we've kind of set up, not not Kyle and I, but just the the history, at least my history, the the idea that the full-time minister role was what you aspired to. Um, it was always when, when I was coming in as a student pastor, worship pastor, whatever, like uh, our, it was always like the goal. It was a stated goal. Hey, you know, we're going to do this for part-time this year and we're hoping to get to full-time if we can get to blank, you know, next year. It was always like that carrot on the end of this, you know, it never came. Uh, but anyway, it was, that was sort of the deal. Like eventually you'll finally arrive at full-time ministry. And, and I don't know that there's, it kind of betrays what we're talking about, the whole AAA, full, you know, major league, that kind of like, I don't know that it's necessarily bad to ever feel like, hey, I would love to be completely devoted to one church full time. Like there's nothing wrong to aspire to that. It allows you to have a narrow focus, all of that kind of, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but I think if somebody is listening in, maybe is doing their seminary degree or, or even better is about to start into college, they feel called to ministry, whatever. If you decide right now, um, that God and, and you believe, you know, obviously you don't decide it yourself, but you believe maybe God is calling you to marketplace ministry and, you know, you know, ministry in a church. Maybe this is a time to think through getting a business degree, um, some kind of mm-hmm. a degree on the, uh, the college level that would allow a teaching degree, uh, something that would be able to be used in the middle of nowhere um, and in the city, whatever. Think through that kind of strategically, some things that you like to do, or maybe you have a knack for doing, and and get a degree for that. And then, of course, your seminary training as you can uh, for the ministry side. Instead of being like me, where you're all in with a Bible degree, four bachelors, a master's of divinity, and a doctor of ministry, and I could go to a Fortune 500 company and I would start as a janitor. You know, yeah, you're, you're, you're qualified to do nothing else. <laughs> yes, this is, this is it for me. So 
don't kind of make that mistake. If this is a coming reality and you realize that maybe 10, uh, I think Rayner has talked about this where, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 years, the reality is the lion's share are going to be bivocational or this is just the norm in the future. So maybe just lean into that, embrace that and say, I want to be able to take care of my family, all of that kind of stuff, do well. So I'm going to get the, you know, the qualifications, be a computer programmer, um, whatever it is I'm going to do with my, you know, bachelor's or whatever it might be, then get the seminary training and so forth for, for the ministry side, be well-rounded so you can embrace that and, uh, and just lean into that as an expectation. I'm going to go in and be bivocational maybe for the rest of my life. And so I want to make, make the most of it. That would be my encouragement. My final recommendation is just know this is probably coming and so prepare for it so you're not like me where one uh, this is all you can do baby this is it i maybe could do some social media work but that's about it so kyle any other final thoughts yeah so it, whether you are a, a full-time pastor or a bivocational co-vocational pastor um we, we've talked a lot about raising up leaders uh raising up preachers who can who you can train uh, whether they're preaching while you're gone or whether you are kind of the go-to uh, church for uh, preachers to fill pulpits in your um, in your area. Uh, Mark Halleck has a really great book called Who Will Preach? Uh, Raising Up Shepherd Preachers in Your Church. I would It's a short book. I would highly encourage you to get that and, and then begin identifying folks in your church who have um, kind of that that gift set, uh, the, the men who can, who could preach and fill your pulpit as well as fill pulpits that are in need uh, in your community as well. And your church would be blessed, your community, your association would be greatly blessed by that. Thank you, Kyle. That was the part I said I wanted them to read from the show notes, but carry well, on. I, I didn't put that book, I didn't put that book in the, in the article. So I wanted to specific. <sighs> so difficult. <laughs> Speaking of communication, Kyle and I would not work well together as bivocational pastors on the same staff. Uh, man, until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare, whether you are full-time, bivo, trivo, quadro, quadvo, I don't know, whatever it may be, none of them are second tier, second class, all of them matter, and God is using them in incredible ways. We're grateful for you. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. What's wrong with you people?